Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Talking Smack, where a week ago I saw a week from the episode release, I saw Disney's Wish, and I've been thinking, can I do an episode about this? Alex hasn't seen it. I've done previous episodes solo, and thankfully, a wish has come true where Justin Henson from the Movie Wire also really wanted to continue talking about this movie after his wonderful review on his show. So, Justin, welcome to the bonus episode of Talking Smack. No, thanks for having me. I, you know, I've been dying to have a conversation about this movie. And, you know, as grown adults that have the mindset of kids that sometimes that just love cartoons, I, I was excited that you invited me on. So thank you. Yeah, and thanks for having such quick response to it because i think i literally went ye- yesterday i was like did you do your wish review yet and you're like no but i'll gladly talk about it more or yes <laughs> but i will gladly talk about it more and i was like thank god because i didn't <laughs> after walking out of the theater i, I was like it was fine I, I i had a quick little quip of like it's a movie for tiktokers but as i've like watched my kids respond to it and i've listened to the soundtrack more voluntarily and involuntarily I, I feel like there is more to this movie, not to parlance a phrase from the main theme of the movie. It just, I don't know if it's as straightforward as I really walked out of the theater feeling. Yeah. And my first viewing on it halfway through, I thought it was really something special. Um, but I think people went into this with a real kind of different mindset where there is a lot more to this movie more in the meat and potatoes of it, where, as you know, I don't look at reviews. I try not to before I go into a movie and I walking out, I had to see what the response was on this. And to me, I was kind of shocked. I can see where the first reaction of movie critics can see the generic version of the fairy tale, the kind of the bland characters at times, but walking out, I you're a hundred percent right. There is a lot more to this movie that I think is going to get more popular as it hits streaming device, uh, streaming platforms and kids start to force their parents to sit down and watch this. So I, I think to me, as you probably heard in my review, I thought it was a terrific movie. Yeah. I, I don't disagree at all about that. I, I think I just got a little bogged down in the modernity of it, modernity, whatever the, the word is, uh, of the movie because it, it is loaded with Easter eggs. And we kind of talked about it in our private discussion between you, me and Alex, where there's like little things they could have done just to make it a little bit more streamlined of a story. And instead of like, well, we want to do a snow white Easter egg here. What can, what scene can we build around it? We want to make a reference to Bambi. What can we do here? Which is kind of how the movie feels. And then there's something really good around those things but it doesn't feel complete in my mind. It's it's re- really pretty wrapping paper with something very hollow inside. It's like a, a ceramic cat doorstop. Like, yeah, that's cute, but you, you look at it too hard and it's going to break. Well, I kind of look at this like almost an experimental Disney where Disney has a big question mark on the content that they're putting out right now between what's connecting with audiences and what's not. They've steered away from a lot of the Disney villains, as I mentioned kind of in our conversations, and they went to more situational uh, villains or situational conflicts in their movies. So this one, I think you can tell it's almost two separate movies going into it, where I can see a lot of the confusion with it and a lot of the, well, 
God, all these little things that we can cherry pick from this movie that just doesn't feel right. But this whole movie is a new kind of standard. Or I, well, I don't even want to call it a standard. It's a new kind of experiment for Disney to kind of test the waters. We saw that when Disney went with a lot of computer animation, then they released Princess and the Frog, and that was a complete disaster. And this one is kind of a meet in the middle saying, what will connect with kids and adults and give that nostalgic feel? And you bring up Bambi and a lot of these other movies, but you're 100% right because a lot of these feelings that we get from past movies give us that nostalgic feel from this movie, along with the fairy tale feel, along with the villain, which you know I hated, but I'm sure we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. But, you know, it's just a lot to this movie that you can cherry pick the good things, but we can also cherry pick the bad things. And I do have issues with this movie. And I think when we had the discussion on Discord, you had a, a lot of valid points that I really did appreciate because I can see those points. And, and I, I hate just coming into anything and being like, this is what they should have done. And I feel like that's where a lot of my reviews have gone lately. And it, but it's because I feel like it's such a, if I can think of this as a fix, how come these people who are paid hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, didn't think of that as well. And I know there's budgets and there's, you got to make certain people happy. Like Alex, Brendan, and I made a, a big joke about how there are producers out there that are like, Oh, we got the fart joke in. And with this movie, it really felt like it was kind of that idea, but with, well, my kid really enjoyed Robin Hood. So what Robin Hood Easter eggs can we throw in there? My kid really, we don't want to do Frozen. Everyone's kind of sick of Frozen, so let's not do Frozen. But there are little things in here that like, especially to start the movie, which we're going full spoilers here. To start the movie, Asha is interviewing to become, quote unquote, the sorcerer's apprentice, which I thought was nice because they never like flat out said it. But I'm like, I get it. I see what you're doing here. But from a storytelling perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense because she Asha meets with the queen first and the queen's like, do not ask about the wishes. You will not get to see the wishes in the interview process. You might never, ever see the, the wishes. And then she meets the king. And within like five seconds of him being charmed by Asha, he's like, come see the wishes. This is the danger. And I hate I hate the piece where we have so many writers and then you add Disney in the mix and everybody has a special place for a nostalgic Disney and they all have their interpretation of how this fairy tale should go. And the main problem with this movie is, and I'll give away some of my cherry picks here is it is completely off balance. It is, it's multiple stories being told, but for some reason and this is the one thing we agreed on a hundred percent is that climax just gets you in the gut yes. it comes together they and halfway through i was worried on how all these different balancing acts of all these different versions of these characters are going to come together but they do but it's almost a cheap grab at emotion but it doesn't matter it's disney and i had to remind myself walking out of the theater that this usually comes for kids first and adults seconds. And what I really appreciated about it is I was having a, I was still having a fun time with it. It, the intent of meeting in the middle between nostalgic Disney and contemporary, I think they did a fantastic job kind of merging the two where as an adult, I wouldn't mind seeing it again when it comes to like frozen, which this would probably be the closest thing for the animated uh, musical for Disney that we can come. I wasn't a huge fan. I thought it was okay. I thought it was good. 
Um, I think the story was a little bit more advanced, but this one I think had that fun element that both kids and adults will enjoy with a fantastic soundtrack. 100% agreed. I think Frozen gets by and a lot of a lot of leeway because everyone loves Kristen Bell, Adina Menzel and let it go. Just like, I don't care if it's overplayed. It It's an iconic Disney song. Yeah. Everyone knew it was the minute it, it hit your ears when you hit that first chorus in 2013. Like, yeah, it's overplayed. Hashtag tangled is better than frozen. I don't disagree <laughs> with that at all, but Frozen has its place in Disney lore. And I, I agree with you 100% that the finale in this movie, like, again, another thing that I would I would have liked to have seen them do is Asha's seven dwarves, for lack of a better term, her, her kitchen yeah. group of friends. And I wanted to see them like turn the song This Wish into the um, the like, do you hear the people sing from Les Mis? Like that needed to be a theme throughout the movie. Instead, it you get Asha singing it when she wishes on the star for the first time, and then star shows up, and then it comes back as a reprise at the end of the movie, which is still fantastic. But I think you needed like one more reprise where everyone is kind of like, yeah, we, we're wishing too, and like we're feeling it, and then like something happens where they lose it, and then that's when Asha has like the aha moment in the finale is we're all stars if we all like come together we can beat his magic together and that's one of the things that i love about this movie too is that it's an eat the rich subplot and like yeah okay cool let's do that yeah well it has an underlying theme of that revolution it's almost borderline almost edgy disney at this time time and when it comes i gl i'm glad he brought up that point because i think when we get that song of knowing what i know that was their intent of the merge of the revolution that's when they that's what i think their intent was to kind of introduce and set the stage for uh the reprise of this wish but i do a hundred and ten percent agree the kitchen staff these are interesting characters these i was i was really enjoying whenever they were on screen and i wish they would have had more screen time to really build that emotion. The finale was good. It did get you emotionally, but it could have gone further. It was, let me put it this way. I was, I wanted to cry. This song made me feel like I should cry, but I didn't, but it was still outstanding. What was the missing element was having when we have one of the characters, I forget her name, stand up for the first time. That's when I said, I should be feeling something. I should be crying with this one, but it's still motivational. It could have been an emotional, motivational song, but it became just motivational, but it was still a heartfelt, warm song. And I think I've played this song about a thousand times in my house. And I'll be the first to admit my kids weren't around. <laughs> it's just like watching Bluey. It's, it's one of those things that uh, it, it just happened to be on at the time. I, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> yeah. Taking a shower. It's playing for on repeat for a half hour. I think my wife is sick of me playing it. <laughs> uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about the soundtrack. Cause I, I want to get into just like the animation as well. Cause I, I think the critics sound clip or whatever you want to call it that I, I gave you guys after I walked out of it was um, visually spectacular storyline is very average, but the, the soundtrack, I think, I think there's like six or seven songs in total, not including the like chicken song. And uh, I think the only one that I, I will 
skip more often than not is the You're a Star song, just because I feel like that was a missed opportunity song. And it was mostly just to be like, hey, look, we're doing the origin to the singing animals in Disney. Yeah. Well, when it comes to the music, I'm split on a lot of the songs here. You have more than I would listen to on a normal Disney movie. I mean, back in the 90s is where we had the really fully loaded soundtracks that you can play over and over again. But with this one, this one has more than I would listen to. But what's really kind of a missed opportunity, I'm a big musical guy. I love musicals. It's my favorite genre. And I've always defined it as you have two separate kinds of musicals in film and stage. You have the one that you can listen to the soundtrack without ever seeing what the story is, and it still tells a story. Then you have certain songs that you need that visual support to have that fun element. Half of the soundtrack needs that visual to really support that fun element. And the other half is just a great emotional, just well done, well written, well vocalized music. And we take like the chicken orchestra and we take uh, I'm a star. These are all visual numbers that are just for the fun element. But the music is just kind of eh. And I think knowing what I know listening to the soundtrack before this one, I wasn't too sure on. And then I went, when it was on screen, I thought it was a very powerful song. Then listening to it after I'm like, this is a visual song. So there's a lot of these songs that just, you need that visual support and that's okay. Um, if it means to run the story, because that's the main intent. That's a really great point. I didn't even think about anything like that. It is kind of reliant on you having seen the movie in this case to really respond to it, because I I had a similar thought because my oldest was listening to This Wish for pretty much the week leading up to us going to the movie once she found out we were going. And uh, I was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, it'll probably get Disney their annual best original song nomination but I don't think it'll win. And then I saw it in theaters and I was like, oh, this is creating a response in me. And after the movie too, I was, I I had the thought of, it almost felt like this was, this, this wish was created as like an emotional hook at, for a Disney park, like fireworks show, because Mm, anyone who's been to Disney, you know, the fireworks are like a main event. You want to stick around for those. And this wish is a song that feels like a finale kind of song where this is this is where we're amping up. This is where we're going to get people to really feel it in the feels. And it, it is a really good song after you've seen the movie. But beforehand, you're just like, yeah, it's fine. It, it sounds like a standard musical number. I will say that This Is Rosas is a really great welcome song. I actually like it more than I like the Family Magical from Encanto. Mm, yeah, I just it, the the chorus just hits a little bit better. And I feel like it it shows off what uh, Ariana DeBose can do as a, a vocalist, as the character is everything. If for anyone who hasn't had like pre-gamed the soundtrack. But I think my favorite song on the the soundtrack is the um, uh, the duet with Chris Pine and Ariana DeBose, which I'm forgetting the name of right now um, at all cost. Mm, yeah, uh, I, I think that's my favorite one because Ariana DeBose gets to do her thing. She belts out her her part portion of the, the song and it does a really good job of maximizing what Chris Pine can do as a vocalist. I don't think he's a great vocalist. He's he's better than me, but that, <laughs> that's not hard to do. But he 
he's also not the strongest singer. Like he's not Josh Groban. He's never going to be Josh Groban. He's never going to be Michael Buble. He's, he's never even going to be like Billy Joe Armstrong from green day, but he's like, he's good. He, he can hold his own, but he's very limited in what he can do. He's not Jonathan Groff or anything like that from Kristoff from frozen. So I, I think what they did with, uh, at all cost is a really good example of maximizing output on something that's someone that's very limited because there, there was a lot of potential to have, can you feel the love tonight starring Beyonce with really, really bad vocals <laughs> from Donald Glover, which like Donald Glover can sing, but when you put him next to Beyonce, there's a disconnecting quality. A hundred percent. Well, we saw that from uh, into the woods with Chris Pine. I mean, there's a different, there's a certain uniqueness to him where there's a difference between when you take musicians, you have superstars, you have rock stars. The superstars care mostly about just the vocals. We go to see them sing. Then you have the rock stars. That's about the performance and the music. Chris Pine, and I hate to define, and I know I'm going to get shit for this, define Chris Pine as a rock star, but he is a per- visual musical performer. So, And we saw that in Into the Woods where he's ripping off his shirt. He's being overdramatic. And now we have the animated world where it's overly done. He keeps that same tone and he does a decent enough job. But when we're just focused on the vocals, you can definitely see some flaws and some manipulation in the voice to make it a little bit more animated. But I I do think he can sing, but he is one of those, as I talked about earlier, that you have to visually see Um, because I was a fan of him in Into the Woods. I thought it was a fun, goofy little role. But as just a vocalist, he's just kind of, eh. It's just kind of an almost an animated character in itself. Yeah, which I find really funny because that was the joke in Into the Spider-Verse was that his Spider-Man created a Christmas album that's very mediocre. <laughs> but because it's Spider-Man making a Christmas album, it sells well. But he's never supposed to have been like this amazing singer. And now all of a sudden he's been a bard in a Dungeons and Dragons movie this year. And he's also been uh, a co-lead in a Disney movie, a musical Disney movie. So it's, it's really weird that like into the woods or spider verse kind of activated something in Chris Pine's repertoire that he's now like, I want to sing a little bit more in my roles. (laughs) Well, you know, once you find the fun factor of it, of what you enjoy, I mean, I can see it. And it's kind of frustrating for me because I think other than this wish, the second most visited song that I've gone to is this is the thanks I get. I really did enjoy that song. And I know you shared the uh, sneak peek video a while ago and I'm like, eh, I don't really know. But when I revisit it, I actually really enjoyed it. And this is the frustrating piece of it. I hated the character. I hated the design of the character. I hated this villain because it was awful. It was, I almost felt bad for the guy to a certain extent. And I think it was a missed opportunity of kind of following the theme and the style that Disney's trying to do, which is meeting in the middle and finding redemption almost. But instead they just totally just screw this guy over <laughs> as a climax. And he becomes the mirror on the wall. Yeah. It almost felt like they just rotoscoped Chris Pine into the movie. The King Magnifico looks and sounds and acts very much like Chris Pine. It's almost like they had mm-hmm. a they mocapped him and recorded his lines while he was in the mocap suit or something. It it was very it, it was interesting and fun. 
Um, but it was for a Disney movie. You don't see them usually translate an actor into animation that hardcore. hardcore! Yeah. So it was is really interesting to kind of try to dissociate while at the same time you're like Chris Pine's giving a performance. He's having fun with this. He's he's hamming it up as the bad guy. But as as to your point in your uh your review for the movie wire, he he's missing a little something. And I think that is like the the tenacity of a Disney villain because he's too charming. Yeah. And even even when he they they try to make him like conceited where his queen is like, oh, you're so handsome and smart. And he's like, you're right. I am <laughs> handsome. Like, it, it's just charming the way he comes across because it's Chris Pine and he just he can pull off that kind of smarminess so well. And it he never for me, he never became entirely unlikable, yeah. even with his bad motivations and his bad justifications. I'm just like, but it's Chris Pine, man. Like he's Captain <laughs> Kirk. Yeah. Well, First half of the movie, I think Chris Pine's voice worked fairly well. But when we get into the second half, it doesn't work because they try and throw these little snippets in. And it kind of drives me nuts in Disney movies. If you have a, a guy that just is so obsessed with his looks, then we automatically have to picture a villain. We have Gaston. We have find something new. I mean, there has to be more of an element than just a guy that says I'm good looking. <laughs> To make a, a guy a villain. And we have they then they throw in a the book that kind of conquers him, which isn't entirely his fault, but his motivation of the dreams, to me, the motivation of uh why he keeps the dreams isn't villainous enough. He he wants to better the kingdom or what have you. He wants to have a control over it, yes, but the intent isn't really too villainous. It's just he wants to have, and that's what the song uh, This is the Thanks I Get sings about, is he's willing to do anything for his kingdom, but he has to have some sort of control to make sure that his people are taken care of. So the villainous factor of it isn't there. Now, when we get to the book that kind of conquers all, that's the real villain, but we really don't get anything more from that other than it's being thrown in saying, that's why. But we still get mm -hmm. Chris Pine in the second half. Agreed. And it just it's a great point to bring up because, yeah, the book is kind of what turns him. But he's also he's they, they set it up pretty well that he is willing to go that far and almost immediately mm -hmm. when he either when Asha immediately is like, you should give the wishes back if you're not going to grant them. Like, what harm is that going to cause? But he's like so possessive of the wishes because they have this flimsy, flimsy premise of something bad happened to him in his youth where his kingdom or his home country burned to the ground because too many dreamers fulfilled their wishes. And apparently one of them was to like build an atom bomb or something. Mm. And he, he just <laughs> went to uh, his own Mediterranean Island and started his own country where people weren't allowed to have wishes. Yeah. And like part of it, it's one of those movies where if he really just gave Asha her wish, which is to have her grandfather's wish granted, which apparently was to create the song when you wish upon a star, mm -hmm. which I, in retrospect, it it kind of makes sense because that if if he inspires someone to wish upon a star hard enough, like Asha eventually does, his whole plan comes to crashing down anyway. So it, it, I, we can kind of see where he's like, no, this wish is too dangerous because he, he's seeing where it can go wrong for him. 
uh, which is a revelation I'm having right now. I, <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but it, it's something that the movie doesn't quite give you enough information for if like I, I don't like being spoon fed things, but it, it's one of those moments where you need a little bit more, which is what I was talking about earlier, where like instead of Asha interviewing for the the apprentice job, maybe the movie starts with her having been his apprentice for like two, three, four, five years, like ever since she became a teenager. And now she's going to be 17 going on 18. And she's like getting really excited because she's going to be like his official apprentice, no longer like an apprentice and apprenticeship or something. And she just like, she's excited because her grandfather's turning a hundred and there's all these different things going on. That's just so exciting for her. And that's why she cracks and says like, Hey, can you do the, me this one favor? And I think that sets up enough premise for her, for him to be like, come into my inner sanctum and see these wishes. And let me try to explain to you why I don't grant these. The, the movie gets to it pretty quickly. It's the first like 15, 20 minutes of the movie, but you can also get there in 10 minutes. You can do this is Rosas. You can do introducing the kitchen staff. Then you can get to, I'm secretly a, an awful person because I'm not going to grant anyone their wishes, even though apparently it steals a part of their soul. Yeah. And, and if we're going to do the, you know, what could have made it better. And I love that element and kind of just thinking and bouncing off of you is take out the family element. Let's focus on the kitchen staff and the apprenticeship and have that character design of the family shine and maybe some of the characters of the kitchen staff. I think that would have made a much better base. And then we can see the progression of this villain being created and the progression of the obsession of these dreams. I think there is a, there's a lot that could have really made this movie, but, and, and again, I have to almost step back because also when I was writing my review, I said, I did like kind of the simplicity of how this messaging is so simplistic for kids. And I think that was kind of almost a compromise that I'm looking the, at this as kind of a critic of how I felt as an adult. And I'm nitpicking a lot of these things saying, I wanted this. I wanted this Disney picture. I wanted these characters. But we both have kids. And I think the kids don't care. It, it's, it's true. Always, it's going to be us as adults that just say, give me my damn Disney movie that has a really <laughs> unique story that gives me all the feels. And for what it is, this one is going to be one of those, as I ended my review on, is going to be playing on TVs over and over and over again. But for what it's worth on this film is we asked the question, did it entertain the kids? Did it entertain the adults? Yes. And in your case, you thought about it afterwards and was the music good? How long has it been since we've had music that we've had a discussion about Disney with? So this one has a lot of uniqueness. And then we take the animation that took me a little bit by surprise that I actually really enjoyed. It's a gorgeous movie. I, th this is Disney's best looking movie. And I will caveat, I think Raya and the Last Dragon is maybe in 3D animation Disney era. I think Ryan Lost Dragon is like their most beautiful movie they've made. Visually speaking, I think it's absolutely gorgeous from textures to the dragon designs, to the costume designs, to the character designs, all of it, I think is absolutely beautiful. That being said, Ryan, the last dragon is probably also one of Disney's worst messages, which is to mm -hmm. blindly trust and continue to trust people who continue to betray you and 
uh, take advantage of your trust. Like, and that one just <laughs> speaking of like movies and things that are on repeat in our house, when that came out, my oldest was just like, oh, it's my new favorite Disney movie. And I was no. just like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> and I, I think it is the visual thing. Uh, but it's it's one of those movies she, she's going to grow up with and be like, why did I like this so much? Was it just yes. because it was pretty? Is it because Raya was pretty? Like, what what was I thinking? But this one, they blend the 3D with the storybook 2D background so well that, like, before we recorded, I was looking through IMDb, seeing if there was anything really good in, like, the, the trivia or behind-the-scenes stuff that maybe most people wouldn't know, which I, I don't think there is. But when you look at the still images they look like they're almost 2d. Like they, they, they take a 2d image and add like 3d perspective to it, but it's not quite 3d when it's still, but when it moves, you can see the 3d animation to it, but it blends that 2d balance so well. This is the type of animation that I know I'm never going to get my wish on that. I just hope they continue or even sharpen it up a little bit to bounce off a different type of style. The problem I have with the newer animation, I'm going to sound super old, I get it, whatever, is a lot of these new characters, DreamWorks has the same issue where it's the same kind of base file of these characters. They're just changing it up a little bit and they just kind of blend together. We take Shrek from DreamWorks and then the first early DreamWorks was really memorable, but now it's hard to recall any of the characters and what made them special. And we're seeing that kind of with Disney right now. They needed a change up because everything's starting to run generic. I was looking before today, yesterday, on a lot of the Disney movies, and I had to be reminded of some of these Disney movies from the last uh, eight years that kind of just snuck in or I just didn't remember because the characters didn't stick with me because they looked almost generically the same kind of format and the same bright colors, the same color palette. There's nothing that makes these stand out. So this, I think, was a smart move for Disney, but how people are going to fill seats in theaters and how it's going to do in the box office, that's that's going to be a different story. But I do think that this one will be huge when it hits Disney+. Plus. Again, agreed. I, I think once D this hits Disney+, Plus, and I think that's part of Disney's problem, and this is a, an, an episode unto itself. I'm not going to get <laughs> too far into the weeds because Alex might delete this episode before it ever goes live <laughs> if I get too deep into the weeds on it. But uh, we've had a whole bunch of stuff from Bob Iger come out this week where he's talking about like, oh, we're going to go into quality over quantity. We are doing too much. Like, I, I think that's been part of the problem in terms of the box office, which I think this year is the first time in a few years, like going into like first couple of years of COVID where we, we had like a Pixar movie and a Disney movie come out and that's it. We did for a few years, like I think starting in like 2016, it was like two Disney movies, two Pixar movies, two Disney movies, two Pixar movies. And that's a lot. Like I, I liked what they had yeah. done where it was Pixar movie in June, Disney movie in November. And like that was their formula for a long time. And then for whatever reason, they're just like two, two from each. And we'll just merchandise the hell out of everything. And I, th I think getting back to a one in one structure every year, if not every two years, will serve them in the long run. But in terms of Asha, like we don't know what the COVID protocols were. These movies take years to make. I mean, 
it, it probably is a, a much faster process now. I, I'm sure pre-production is still like a year and a half to two years. And then to animate an entire movie is another two years, probably, if not more. But I, I, I would really love to see. I think they they call them like behind the magic or whatever the like making of documentaries that they have for mm, these movies. Yeah. Uh, I remember Frozen 2's being really good. I don't think they've done one since, but I really hope they do one for this because I would love to see the uh, the process if they actually get into it of like setting in on the aesthetic of the movie where it it almost it, it almost looks like really well drawn like chalk or crayon art in the background. Like it, it just it looks so good. And again, if you can find it, like you can see it a little bit in the episode thumbnail, but finding even just the IMDb page and going through some of those, just like the backgrounds and the, the design are so beautiful. And I, I think there are other competitors. I think it, across the Spider-Verse will probably win best animated feature this upcoming Oscar season. But I, th I think there, there could be an argument made for, wish just because among other things like hollywood loves to celebrate hollywood and what better way to celebrate hollywood than one of its biggest tent poles celebrating 100 years of its own its own business opportunities i think this one will again i'm gonna wish i i wish this one would stand a chance but you're 100 right it is probably gonna be spider-man but year over year family movie after family movie i pray to the movie gods i can go one family movie without a fart joke an adult <laughs> joke that just goes over your head or the kid's head that I kind of just roll my eyes over. I want something that's meant for kids that I can just smile and enjoy the reaction of the audience. And I can just smile and enjoy the nostalgic feeling of how I felt as a kid to bring me back to that childlike state. I can't think of another movie, even with its flaws, that is going to be a better movie for the entire family than this. The audience was having fun. The kids stayed still. There were smiles across parents' faces leaving the theater. I'm a big reaction guy walking out of the theater. I love, love to see the reaction because it's all about the experience. And you brought up the one-on-one -on -one strategy, and that's what it needs to be. It, some may argue that there's not enough kids' movies, but... It's an experience. You anticipate these movies. You anticipate a great family movie going into the holidays and one to maybe kick off the first half of the year or even the summer. So this one, if you're going to have a movie that you all can enjoy, you won't have a more innocent movie for your kids than this one. Very well put. And the, I think there are plenty of kids movies. It's just that not a, a lot of them look or I should I should say family friendly movies. It's just that not a lot of them look interesting. Like there was that one from a few years ago that was like, here's a, a theme park hidden in a forest that is now taken over by animals. Doesn't oh, this Wonderland, look like yeah. fun? Yeah, yeah. The, it looked, no, it didn't look fun. It no. didn't look interesting. <laughs> like a theme park for animals. Okay, I'd rather just go watch Zootopia again, which <laughs> I will die on this hill that Moana deserved that Oscar more than Zootopia. 100%. I don't know what the Academy was thinking other than like, hey, it has undertones about racial inequality. Let's do that. Which like, yeah, that's a, a fantastic, fantastic message. But you're telling it through the lens of a cop. No. Yeah, government corruption, too. <laughs> yeah. it, it hit all the marks. It had a lot of themes going for it. But it, it again, telling it through the lens of a cop is not not the way to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, but. but the 
getting back on track with wish i i do think it plays it safe it does a lot of things that like yeah they're not gonna they're not gonna wow the critics but it's i think it's currently sitting at literally 50 percent critic score and then there's 81 percent uh fan score which i think if you take out the troll equation of people being like oh a black princess uh, I think it's probably more an audience score of like 88, which I think is a really good score yeah. for a movie like this, where it's, it is just unadulterated fun. Alan Tudyk's having the time of his life. Chris Pine is having the time of his life. Ariana DeBose is showing us why she's won an Academy award. It, it, it hit, it checks a lot of boxes for just wholesome Disney fun. Yeah. And you can tell just with the voice cast, there is a lot of fun in making this one. And this is smart direction. I love it when animated movies don't use always the same recycled directors. They always bring in fresh people from animation departments, ones that know the work that goes that gets be that gets to be put into animated features, how the characters should look, how they should act, how they should sound. And they go really for Chris Buck and Fawn. I not even going to attempt the last name right now, but they do a fantastic job on adding that fun element to it. It's almost like these two have a side job of a pure Broadway production and a full-time animator. So they combine these two to make a visual, fun, musical spectacle. I could definitely see that because I know Disney has gone out of their way to bring in Broadway producers or Broadway music producers to spruce up their songs in case they ever decide like, oh, this was a big hit. Maybe let's translate it to a Broadway show, which is why you'll get numbers like uh, Love is an Open Door, which is very mm. much a Broadway song. It's not yeah. necessarily a, a musical in terms of like theatrical music, which that's taking going on a tangent again, going back to 2013. Love is an Open Door and um, for the first time in forever is a little bit still more classic Disney, but it is still also very Broadway. But those two songs is like, that doesn't, these songs don't quite feel right. They don't feel like they belong in this movie. And then finding out that, Oh, they, they essentially started production. The minute this movie hit $400 million at the box office for a Broadway show. I'm like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I've gone to frozen on Broadway and open and honest. I thought the uh, musical numbers were way better live the choreography was wet, much more well done on stage than in the movie. There was a lot more fun they had with it than what you would think would be better in a the imagination of animators. But no, I mean, you're absolutely right, 100%. There are, they seem like Broadway songs and the choreograph that, chore, the choreography. Thank you. I'm tired. Choreography. <laughs> <laughs> that. The stage shows, it shows that it was meant to be on stage, not to knock the movie. It was an okay movie. But yeah, I mean, this was complete Broadway. Mm -hmm. And that, that's not a bad thing either no. until we see Wicked Part 1 and Wicked Part 2. Then we're going to be like, just leave it on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> I am booking you for those when those come out, by the way. Oh, yeah. I, Alex and I will probably both be there. We will have to two part it or something like, hey, we'll do a, a, an authentic review on the movie wire and then we'll do a big breakdown on Talking Smack. Love it. Well, I think that'll about wrap it up for this. We this is a bonus episode, so we try to keep it a little shorter. But Justin, thanks so much for making the time. Please let everyone know who you are, where they can find you and where they can find you on social medias. Well, 
maybe not where they can find you because that that's a little too personal. <laughs> P.O. Box. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can find the movie wire wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also check me out on all the socials, every single one of them. You can also check the website at www.themoviewire. All right. Well, Justin, thanks again so much for taking the time. And uh, as you are well aware, we have a discord and it is a fun time when people are engaged (laughs) right now. I've been a little separated from it because I've been doing a a new desk job. So I've been trying to be good and not engaging in mass mass conversation. Uh, But the episode description should have an invite to our discord if you feel so inclined to join. You can email us your reviews, thoughts, episode suggestions, whatever you may have in mind to tsmackpot at gmail.com. Follow us on your social media platform of choice. We're on Blue Sky, Instagram, Threads, Hive Social, Post News, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Lonnie's website. Thank you to Leo Allen for our regular uh, musical themes. We don't have it going for the bonus episode, but thank you for our themes, Leo. Uh, thank you, Beppo, for Original Avatars, Retro Ale Studios for Ricky Avatar. Please like, subscribe, rate, review the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. And again, most importantly, thank you again so much for listening. Take care.